Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico from the Main of China podcast. This is another hashtag. This is China episode. Hanging out with with China Mike. We're still at Mikasa, so forgive the background noise.、Um, in this, this is China episode. We're going to be talking about certain situations that have happened when we deal with certain types of factory owners,、um, the more traditional types. So I think maybe Mike can. Start with his story. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. What's up, everybody? One of my favorite stories. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before.、It's、early in my sourcing days, one of my first clients, good friend of mine, we were making、uh, watches, and I had a factory boss that I was working for.、I、used to call him the Band Man because he made the watch bands, Mr. Laudu.、Um, so I have stories for days about my. Relationships with factory bosses and the type of crazy situations that I've been in, but there's only a competition for number two because、uh, the band man he owns number one for sure. He was the most interesting, and crazy factory boss we dealt with by far. At that point, he was、um, definitely the biggest business that I had was with him. He was the person that I was doing the most money. The biggest orders, the most money with month to month. So he was making the the bands. He was making the bands for the watches that we were making. Is、um, he Guangzhou? He was. His factory is based in Dongguan, but he was often in Guangzhou at the watch market. Was this a Dongguan story from?、Uh, this is in the Dongguan days. <laughs> gonna, so yeah,、uh, it was definitely at that point in my sourcing career. He was,、um, you know, the person who I felt most confident. Confident working with,、um, he. I was placing the biggest orders with him. I, pretty sure at that time, I was one. I was his biggest client, if not one of his biggest clients, without a doubt. And we had had a lot of success up to that point、uh, working together. He was great.、Um, you know, we used to call him four minutes of business, four hours of party. Because we'd show up, we'd talk business. You, you, you've touched on that before. Yeah, I've definitely talked about this guy. But、um, he was good, though. It was never an issue. One, because he's showing us a great time.、Uh, Dongguan is a city between Shenzhen and Guangzhou. It's a city that、um, was nothing 20, 15, 20 years ago, and now is one of the larger、uh, manufacturing hubs in China. Just for people that, for the uninitiated,、um, well, how would you explain what Dongguan was? Well, what was it famous for at that time? Well, I mentioned that it, it was it started as nothing and then became this manufacturing hub because that kind of helps explain that you know. Mo- the, the vast majority of the people that were there were factory bosses,、um, who were majority men that had come from all over China and even even other parts of the world to set up their operation there. So、um, you're talking about a 80 plus percent 
male population. So what happens, obviously, is you have a lot of these men doing business, uh, amassing these small and large fortunes. So what happened is Dongguan became the red light district of China. Um, maybe that's not suitable for the podcast to go deep, in, do a deep dive into into that. But you can imagine, um, you know, you just had. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, when anytime there's men doing business, money is involved. There is going to be a certain element of men using women to help business get pushed forward right like it's just like you know what i mean like it's, it's always going to be that around centers where there's a lot yeah. of money transactions with men around. Well, i mean they had these ktvs and massage parlors that were pretty much brothels basically and yep. they were all over dongguan you could get any so type you, of service if, if you ever you watch rush hour too yeah 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 it is it is that i've been in that, <laughs> that exact that, that, situation that scene with, yeah. uh, you know, uh, where 40 girls pile in and they're just all looking at you in, in this small room and you have to pick one or two or three. I've, Chris, I've seen Chris it all. Chris Tucker with Jackie Chan. Yeah. And this was, uh, Bandman was the guy who introduced us to this. I mean, we would go to the factory in Dongguan to check on an order, expecting to leave the same night. And he would, you know, in a, in a, friendly fun way he would hold us hostage for three or four days at a time i mean we would go to dongguan on friday expecting to be back friday night and we wouldn't get back till tuesday morning it was just always like that but it was never a problem because a you know i was just getting acclimated to china so this was all fun and new and exciting for me and two the most importantly he was always on time and he was great with um on the business side of things. On the business side of things, he was always on point. You know, when he said he was going to finish something, he finished it. And he was the first factory boss who started giving me leeway because of our relationship. You know, so these 30% deposits, need to pay on this day. That was all out the window. We were we were, we were were in bed, man. Not literally, obviously. But, we were, you know, we were, we were deeply uh, entrenched in our business relationship. So I could float money. We could do it all with Man Man. So... Um, the story is that my client landed a big sale via Groupon. We had a Christmas sale via Groupon and we sold somewhere between 15 and 20,000 units and the product had an interchangeable part and this factory boss was supplying the interchangeable part. So for each product sold, there was three plus three to five interchangeable parts that we needed to provide for the product. So this was a massive order. This was my first big giant order in China. And in, I had, in terms of um, quant- quantity uh, money, money, yeah. like, yeah, but like how much would you say? I mean, I think if I remember correct, I can't remember. I can't remember. But Estimation of the amount of money involved around a hundred grand. You know, around 100 grand, which I realize is a lot for some people, not a lot for some people, but for me at the time, it's fucking massive. And I, I, I mean, I think that most people that listen to the podcast, like $100,000 is a significant chunk of change. And for me at the time, it was huge, you know? And based off of damn near a year of repetition with this boss, um, I had no reason to worry about it. And I conducted business as usual with him when we placed this order. So it was just how we always did orders. Well, what happened was, you know, I paid the deposit and 
you know, this is a giant order, so it's going to take longer than usual, right? No problem. So whatever the, that timeline was where he would start, he needed to show results, three weeks, you know, we'd show up and there was nothing to show for it. And it started to become this thing, which if you've done business in China, you've definitely dealt with this before, started to become the tomorrow game. Hey, we didn't, we, we don't have him today. Come, come, come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. And nothing ever changed with this boss. Every time we met up, you know, we'd talk about business and he'd want to go party. So it was getting to the point where I was expecting to see some progress on the order and he'd just want to go out to, you know, the KTV and to the restaurant for hours on end. It's starting to get to me, you know, our, our deadline for coming up with the products is starting to, to come to, you know, we're, we're getting close to our deadline and I was getting a little bit concerned. So I started to press him more than usual and I said, listen, you know, band man, what's going on? I, I need to see this shit. This is really important. So he gave me one more tomorrow. We showed up tomorrow and obviously there was nothing to show it was the same situation and um so then i started to freak out and i said listen man we need to go to the factory right now which caught him off guard we drove to the factory i found out a lot about his operation on that factory visit and what we had found was he hadn't even started Jeez. he had not even started the order and he was in a really bad financial position with the cooperating factories. Talk, the factory that we had been going about to a visit. Hashtag, this is China the, fa the, the factories that we had been going to visit for a full year in China. And we were looking at him, talking to people who were running the machines the entire time. That was a front. Hmm. It was his friend's factory. It was never his factory. And he had gotten into a bad financial spot with his partner, his friend. The actual factories that he was making Correct. products with. Correct. So, so, they, so, so the factories that he'd been taking to were the ones that were making your products. Absolutely. However, they weren't he, they, under he did, his control. So he had fronted like he owns those places. Yes. Yep. Yes. And then what happened was is he needed to start. So was he a trading company the whole time? He was a broker. Yep. He was a broker. He was a salesperson for a handful of factories. Um, but he was, for a while, he was doing doing big things with them. I could tell because whenever we'd go out in Dongguan, all these guys would come with. You know, these were people I knew. It wasn't like I didn't know them. So what happened was, um, you know, I found out that we hadn't even started, which was the most devastating business news I had heard up until that point. And um, basically, he owed so much money to these factories that they weren't willing to start our order. Pause. Until he settled his bills. So you can continue. Yeah, they weren't willing to start the order until he settled his bills. And his bills were not only, you know, I was willing to, to take some of that hit, but his, his debt was way beyond even the cost of our order. So his debt was astronomical. There was absolutely no chance that he was making this product for us. What do you think happened? Do you think he just like been making so much money, then he was spending? Yeah, that's, like, that's he exactly. He was balling. It. He was balling out yep. every night. Um, you know, he would go on these three, four day binges of just taking everybody around him out to all these places. I mean, I never paid for nothing. Okay, now, I went what, to these four day what, what trips kind of, in Dongguan with kind of, my business partner yeah. at the time and the kid who worked for me, and we didn't pay a fucking dime, you know even what, if just, I tried, even you know if I shoved money in this pocket. Right 
Man, <laughs> you gotta watch those YouTube videos. Man. That is awesome. So there was never a dime shed on our side. Even when I demanded I pay money, he refused. So anyway, we we're at a point where it was we couldn't we couldn't get this order done, and um, it's kind of funny because just a quick ending to the story. It really hurt our client because we were late getting this stuff done. And if you hear our client tell this story, or our former client tell this story, it was a really tough time for them because they were dealing with a lot of backlash from the sales site. They were dealing with a ton of backlash from the uh, customers that had purchased it. We were late. We missed Christmas. Um, and it was a big debacle. However, that was also my biggest success you know so i can't look at it as a negative even though ultimately it probably was a negative um i took immediate action i canceled my trip back to america and i spent the next 10 days finding a new factory and literally renting out their entire factory and bringing in a staff from another factory to do double shifts and we ran the factory for eight days, 24 hours straight. And I was actually packing and assembling thousands of these bands myself, along with my employee, as they were coming off the factory line and FedEx was waiting for us to ship the goods out, out to America. So it was actually, it actually was a really cool scenario for me because I had to adjust and, you know, my client didn't see it that way, but it was absolutely astonishing that we got this stuff out when we did. He was still pissed because it was a week late, but, you know. Is it only one week late? Yeah, it was about a week, uh, max two so, weeks late. I know this is supposed to be a, this is, this is China episode, it's supposed to be short. I have so many questions. Ah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so, uh, is your biggest success because you're able to get the products out relatively on, on time? Because, I mean, a week... In reality, like when I when I look at most projects, I always tell people like, yeah, things happen, things get delayed. Um, but it was a project we had ample time for. It was a Christmas sale. We yep. were supposed to get stuff before Christmas. We delivered after Christmas. Why haven't you talked about this ever before? The victory? <laughs> this was like podcast started in 2015. Like, what is like? Bro, like it seems like a very like I relevant. Might, I feel like I might have mentioned it on the podcast before, yeah, but, but uh, not in any. Oh, not man. in any. It, it, you literally haven't even told me about this story, like face to face on just on some normal shit. <laughs> I've been on like China off the podcast for, like, what a, for a long time. Yeah, well, know, yeah, like this seems like it. a very relevant story <laughs> that I would have enjoyed hearing about in the inception of the company, let alone like. Four years later, like I don't know, man. I got a lot going on. Maybe I forgot to tell you. Like, okay, very Mike. You just pulling out. <laughs> okay, like I mean, you definitely mentioned this this factory boss before. You you mentioned like the situations that the of going to them, and, and yeah, yeah. But yeah. you didn't mention this craziness. Yeah, he sold this out, man. He sold. It. Well, I mean, he just he didn't want to admit the situation that he was in, and he thought that he could just tomorrow it until he could figure out how to patch it. And he didn't fully understand our sale and what we needed to provide. What did you learn from that situation? I learned that from that point on, at, up until that point, I didn't understand how much of a necessity it was to control every aspect of production. You know, if someone was telling me 
that we were ordering 40,000 pieces, you know, it takes time to produce those pieces, those units. You need materials in order to produce them. I should see the purchase order for those materials. I should know where those materials are coming from. I should have word the second those materials arrive at the factory. I should know when they're slotted to hit the machines. I need to know how many people you have on the line making those fucking products. You know, I, I, I after that, you know, I needed to know everything. I wouldn't accept any type of explanation from someone, no matter how much I liked them, no matter how much I trusted them. That that was out the door at that okay, point. Okay, just, just to scale it back a little bit, but it also it depends on the size of the order, right? So, so if we're talking of course, about, of course. you know, an order of that magnitude, then, right. you know, you know, like you gotta make sure that that information is there. I mean, that's like I going back again to the fidget spinner situation. That was kind of it. It's like, okay, we're about to pay. You know, a deposit of four hundred thousand dollars to you guys. We need to know every single factory that you're working with. Yeah. We need to be able to go there. We need to be able to see the raw materials coming in, mm. understand where it's you know all that stuff. I, I can't remember a hundred percent sure, but I feel like I was involved in the fidget spinner deal, and that was kind of a big deal for me. It was almost a deal breaker. I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it might have been another project, but they were kind of. Um, uh, they were apprehensive to let us know about the ball bearing units, like where they were coming from. Is that, do you remember that? No, no, it wasn't that. It was just that it was a struggle to get the the ball bearing units. But you, I think what you're what you're uh, remembering was the client came in. They already had a factory, yeah. and they were still trying to work with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that factory was yes, that factory was like kind of not forthright with that yeah. information. And then it was it was always a I don't know if I talked about this on the the YouTube video that I that I mean I, I don't think I did but basically the client was trying to decide should we continue working with our current supplier or should we move to another supplier through SFA yeah um, and I mean in the end when they were physically here in China and I was we were pointing out to them like the differences between the newer suppliers that we're talking to and the supplier that they've been dealing with who by the way, had lost them $20,000 in an order because the the bearings were made from iron and not stainless steel. They realized, yeah, okay, we got to we gotta shift factories. So that was a big lesson learned. That was a big lesson learned. And it was, uh, it was sad to lose that relationship with Laodou, but, um, you know, it was time to move on. It was time to move to another stage of business. I realized I couldn't fuck around quite as much as I had to. <laughs> quite, quite as much as I had up until that point. What's going on, what's going on with, uh, when was the last time you spoke to Laudu? Um, he got run out of Dongguan. He got chased out of Dongguan. He had to move back to his uh, hometown of Fujian. And he scaled back considerably. He started some small business out there. I he got run out because of the debts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He had, he had burned a lot of bridges with his um, with the higher ups, excuse me, that he was uh, working with. Dude, we have to do, I, I mean, I want to talk to you about something that I heard on uh, uh, Michael McNamee's podcast about gangsters coming to his office and, you know, uh, one factory uh, boss that he'd been working with sending these, it wasn't Mike, it was, it was, it was on McNamee's podcast, we were just talking about somebody else. 
they'd sent factory, they sent like these uh, gangsters to come to the office, and then the gangsters were threatening to throw this dude off of the building, yeah. 12th floor or whatever. And then he ended up paying them five grand, um, and then telling them like, "Look, I'm gonna give you five thousand, but I don't want you guys to give any money to this other person." It's just that it was a very interesting situation. I want to know if you've experienced anything like that. I've never experienced it. But yeah, that's another. That's another conversation for another podcast. I definitely have some Chinese tough guy stories. Yep. You know, some... Um, yeah, I mean, just hearing that, I was like, wow. Like, I, I've never experienced any sort of situation like that. Like, I don't know why, but I just haven't. Um, anyways, uh, my situation, thank you, boss. I don't even know if I can top that. Man. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe we should just end the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this shit is not even interesting. I don't even want to talk about it. I well, lost... All enthusiasm <laughs> to talk about my story. Laudu is legend. You know, I could go into hours and hours. I mean, of, we have of, red of light stories. districts and all this shit. Um, all right, so this is the, this is a more scaled back story from Rico. Uh, so basically, we we had a factory boss in northern China, more traditional, and um, Mike was also involved in the situation, and it was just. Kind of similar to what Mike just mentioned, where we placed an order with them and, you know, things were not moving as they normally do. It was like 20 days into the, the deposit, You're like, what's going on here? What's, why, why isn't this done? Can we get confirmation? We're not getting the normal confirmations. We even sent one of our employees to go there earlier on and, you know, got the whole, the whole China... China, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Things are moving. And, you know, Ming Tian, Ming Tian, don't worry about it. And then we don't get the information on Ming Tian. And uh, Mike also went down to, to talk to the boss. And, you know, Mike came down and said, look, like, seems like there was progress. But, like, I mean, could be the same exact situation. And then uh, Chinese New Year happened. And now we're behind schedule by a month. So I, I remember it a little bit differently. I got to say I distinctly remember my assessment of that meeting coming back and saying, if we continue to work with this guy, it's going to be more of the same. Well, it was more of a, ma when I explained it, a, a, in a more of a matter of fact situation where you said, listen, you know, things have been happening like this. I don't necessarily expect things to change, but this is what he said he's going to do. Right. And he seemed pretty enthusiastic about accomplishing those things. Um, but we were skeptical all the way around. And, and I mean, even before we started working with him, um, I, it was not a factory that we found. It was a factory that our client had for, uh, not forced us, but introduced us and said, like, these guys are making the product that I want and all yeah. stuff. And, uh, but then again, it's like not understanding the full situation. We ended up going into this. And, uh, <laughs> so, Finally, now we're a month behind production. I think we're two months behind production. Um, he says, yeah, you know, the products are ready. So I go up to northern China and, you know, I'm, I'm there and I'm hanging out with him. And then I think it was the first or the second night that we had, we went for dinner. And, you know, he does this whole show. He takes us to, like, this Japanese restaurant. He's like, yeah, this, this Japanese and, you know, my city this is my spot. Like, whatever. He's like. 
ordering all this shit and it was like dude like who's gonna eat all of this like, this is ridiculous there's three of us here like, you're ordering 30 plates of food yeah it's like I mean, what is this? it's like you, you're fucking caesar or some shit like this like who else is coming here anyways but you know he got fucking saucy he got got a little bit hammered and um then he went into this whole diatribe about how we'd fucked up the order and he was frustrated with our employees, he was frustrated with Mike, he was frustrated with our company and all this shit. And uh, it was one of those situations where you have to, because at the end of the day, like, I'm, I'm a consultant, I'm not the company. If I was the owner, I don't know how I would have reacted in that, but I was like, look, I'm here to accomplish something, which is to get these products out in the next week i'm here to inspect the products and make sure that we're getting what we paid for let me remove myself uh, emotionally ego wise from this and look down on the situation so he was just talking to me and just like for a solid five to ten minutes on a rant and i was just looking at him like this motherfucker <laughs> and i was like okay like you like you know when somebody else is wrong about a lot of things but they're pretending like they didn't do anything wrong and you can literally like point but what about this what about that and but then you also know based off of ego you know that if i it's not going to help the situation so if i started to go into that zone of being like well but you did this you did that i probably end up just like fucking up my client's order so yeah. i just pulled myself out of it and just i was watching it and you know i let him continue drinking beer and like talking shit and uh you know i ended up going back to the hotel and talking to my employee because I was with one of my staff at the time and just being like, yeah, you know, I explained to her like what my thought process was during that whole thing. And then we just, we just made it work. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a, it was a funny situation being, it was a, you know, fully like this is, this is China situation. It's like, okay, this dude has been so unreliable, unsystematic and everything that he's done. Sure my client made some mistakes and sure maybe we could have done a few things better but at the end of the day it was his systems and his factory that had fucked up everything without a doubt without a doubt and i was like okay this is for you pull yourself out of out of that and you know no no don't worry about it too much but you know, i was like very much this is china i got one more it's just a couple minutes i won't i won't check it out but um I actually kind of went in depth in this on a YouTube video that we recorded. It'll be released as a on the factory floor episode soon uh, about a bag factory that I was working with and took a long time to set up the first couple orders. They really took their time uh, going through every detail with me. We made two or three small orders and they were great, fantastic. We thought we had a great um, relationship on our hands. So the first big order comes and um, it's a product that we've already made. We've already made two or three orders and, and it was a much, much bigger order, maybe 10 times the size of anything we had done up to that point. And, um, you know, at that point, I wasn't as religious about QC checks so we hadn't checked the goods early on in the production process 
and we get our X thousand of bags ready to be sent out only to find that he had swapped materials out. He'd swapped the leather out for a cheaper leather. He'd swapped the hardware out for a cheaper hardware and then refused to do anything about it. And it, it was a really bad situation. Um, from that, his employee quit because she didn't like how dishonest her boss was, came to us and apologized for her role in the matter, said, I'm going to take all of my family's savings and start this tiny little factory. And I'd say eight years later, we're still working together. I still process all my bag orders through that factory. He's doing it. Yeah, and um, I've recommended at least a dozen clients to her and I know for a fact that two or three of those clients turned into massive massive business for her so I think that was a, actually a good outcome to a bad uh, China boss story right there yep. but. Yeah, and by the way that dude like <laughs> it was funny because even during that time that trip he was like, man, we got to go to Shanghai. I was like, oh, okay. He's like, at Shanghai, we can get a lot of girls. I was like, bro, like, <laughs> we gotta let's, finish, this let's order, finish this order. Like, what are you, what are you even talking about? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to go to party with you in Shanghai. Like, yeah, like <laughs> we're going to lose, we're going to lose this client. Like, oh, but we, we're going to have a relationship for a long time. Like, what a relationship, relationship for a long time. Man, you could even fucking process our first order correctly. Like, what are you talking about relationship for a long time? Oh, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, this dude uh, is so traditional, man. Like, he's so ridiculous. Just not understanding that all of the stuff that he'd done was his fault and how he runs his factory. And, you know, thinking just that... most of those type of bosses most yep. not all because that guy for example is still functioning and doing business i could go into reasons why but most of those bosses aren't around anymore well i mean the, the they main, haven't been able to survive yeah i mean they're, they're not going to be able to survive because of the internet but and also just um uh, buyers becoming more savvy and in working with people that are you know local on the ground and stuff with him the unique situation was that he found a niche yeah. that um basically wasn't it was big enough to it was growing at the time yeah. the, the niche was growing at the time and then all the factories that were working in within that niche didn't have an online platform didn't have their own presence online to be able to get clients so he was basically like like mike was talking about the other guy who was a broker he was a he started off as a trading company as a broker and then started his own factory so the fact that actually the products that he was making in-house while they were delayed they were re very high quality but the biggest thing that he had was he had a huge online presence and his website and all this stuff was really good so um if clients were looking for that type of product his website would be one of the first ones you see and also would be one of the best ones. Um, but he was, at the end of the day, outsourcing 
you know, 80% of the products that were listed on his website were made by the most visible supplier for a booming niche market. Yeah. So what's changed with him and, you know, what's changed with him now is that all those other factories that he was working with, because of people like myself, we figured out the the smaller factories that he was working with and we've been able to then work with those factories directly. And then those factories have also grown and built their own presence online. So now they're getting their own customers and they're not relying on him to bring the clients. So like even his factory is probably going to die eventually. Um, He just will. (laughs) It's inevitable. If he doesn't doesn't improve on the things that we're talking about. Yeah, he's one of those type of people who's not going to adapt. Yeah. And it's, you know, with him, yes, a big part of it is cultural, but I also think it's literally just his own ego yeah he just doesn't want to let go i think it's hard for a lot of these guys who came up during the big boom you know who made so much money and had so much success and so much progress and you know with that uh a lot of these factories they have a lot of staff you know they have a lot of people working for them they have um a lot of people who rely on them for their well-being and what happens a, a lot of time in a lot of these situations with these factories in southern china is they're not just employing sure i mean it depends on the factory but they're not just employing random people what happens is they bring a whole army of people from their small hometown with them to guangzhou to dongguan to shenzhen and now they're employing 40, 50, 60, upwards of 100 people from their hometown. So they're not just looked at, you know, by, by their friends and family as this successful businessman. They're also, you know, a savior in their community because they're helping build up, you know, the, 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 the people around them. And I think for them to, you know, for a young whippersnapper like you to come in and say, hey, you know, you're fucking shit up. Like, let's try to systemize this. You know, it is ego. You know, they're not going to want to hear that. Yeah. Think, hey, I've done this all myself, my way. Who the fuck are you to tell me what we should be doing here? So, this is a hashtag. This is China, and also hashtag innovate or die. That's pretty much what it is. Like, it's yeah. You, I mean, it doesn't matter how long you've been running whatever industry we've seen big companies die all the time like no companies infallible from you know the changes in the market and how people behave and you know all that stuff so it's like you gotta innovate and uh yeah so that's it so again these are supposed to be short episodes <laughs> this is Sorry, 35 guys. minutes rambling uh probably need to split these into two parts but check anyways. out the youtube Check out the YouTube. Rico's got a lot of great stuff going up. Source Find Asia YouTube. Leave us some reviews. Send some comments. Give us your feedback. And uh, you're going to check out the show notes at sourcefindasia.com slash made in China. Cheers. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. Hit me. 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. If you haven't girl problems, I forgot for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. Hit me. Yeah, it's 94 and my trunk is raw. And my rear view mirror is the motherfucking law. Got two choices, y'all. Pull over the car or bounce on the devil, put the pedal to the floor. 
tryna see no highway chase with Jake. Plus I got a few dollars, I can fight the case. So I pull over to the side of the road. I heard, son, do you know why I'm stopping you for? Cause I'm young and I'm black and my hat's real low. Do I look like a mind reader, sir? I don't know. Am I under arrest or should I get some more? Well, you was doing 55.